1: So long suffering. I wish that I was. (laughs) I am not. I'm sorry. I would love to be. Notice it says that God destroyed the nations, the seven nations. Paul's making it clear who did the work here and who's in control. Paul's making it clear to the Israelites, these men gathered today, God did everything. God has everything under control. And I think that it's important that we look at this for a minute. We need to know that God is always in control. Even if it doesn't appear to us that He's in control, God is always in control.
0: Do you feel like there are parts of your life that seem entirely out of control? In today's message from Pastor Dave, he encourages you to lift your eyes to the Lord. Even when everything appears to be chaos, God is sovereign over it all. He is in absolute control over your life, and you can trust that He is for you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13, as he continues his message, Paul's first sermon preparation. You are sure.
1: God fed them in the wilderness when there was no food. He clothed them in the wilderness when there was no clothes. He constantly took care of them in the wilderness, but he put up with their whining, their complaining, their things, their rebellion. He put up with it. So you can use both things. God's long-suffering. God is long-suffering, and he puts up with me a lot. And I don't, sometimes don't understand why he puts up with me so much. God is so long suffering. He is so long suffering. I wish that I was. (laughs) I am not. I'm sorry. I would love to be. Notice it says that God destroyed the nations, the seven nations. Paul's making it clear who did the work here and who's in control. Paul's making it clear to the Israelites, these men gathered today, God did everything. God has everything under control. And I think that it's important that we look at this for a minute. We need to know that God is always in control. Even if it doesn't appear to us that he's in control, God is always in control. Again, going back to Isaiah the prophet, still in verse 55. Before that, in verses 8 and 9, he says, For my, way, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't understand why so many times God does what he does. I don't understand it. I'm incapable of understanding it. His thoughts are not my thought. His ways are not my thought. I would do things much differently. I didn't say I could do them more wisely, but I would do things differently. I would just do them differently. You see, the difference between the way I do things and the way God does things, God sees the beginning and the end. God knows all. God knows exactly what has to happen. I don't. I can only see what's in front of me. I can only project what's going to happen. See, when God makes a decision, he knows he's right, because he's always right. Now, when I do things, I do it, and I kind of hope I'm right. And most of the time, guess what? Not. Most of the time, I seem to be not right. But when I start doing it, I'm sure I'm right. And so many times, I think, this is the best way. And then I find out, no, this isn't the best way. God says, hey, My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. I've got everything under control. Will you just relax and let me do what I'm supposed to do and get the heck out of the way? God's in control. So Paul tells these people that, listen, number one, God chose our fathers. God chose them. His sovereignty, God chose them. God's plan was to build a nation, God's plan was to protect the nation. His plan was to bring that nation into a promised land. He said that you would be my people and I would be your God. That's what he told the nation of Israel. God was preparing them for a future. He was preparing them to receive a Messiah that would come, a Messiah that would come. And if you look at the hall of faith, it said all these people, in the hall of faith that they mentioned, they all died. But they all died in faith because they were looking at the promise from afar, looking for the Messiah that would come, faith in the Messiah that would be here. God told them that. Paul is standing before this group gathered saying, you guys were prepared. You were prepared to hear this message. The entire nation was prepared. It gets interesting here when Paul mentions Samuel because Samuel becomes a preparation for David. It's really cool the way all this works out. Verses 20 and 21. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And after they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. God wanted Israel to be a theocracy. A theocracy means governed by God. God was going to be the boss. He was going to be the head. It's the type of government that God had planned for the nation Israel. They didn't want that. They didn't want God as their leader. They didn't want to trust in him for everything that he did, even though he led them out of Egypt, even though he fed them and clothed them for 40 years in the wilderness, even though he gave them judges to rule over them. And every time the nation would slide, he'd raise up somebody like a Gideon or a Samson to bring them back against the Philistines or or against any other people. He always raised people up. And all they had to do was trust and obey him. But they didn't want that. They went to God and go, they got a king, why can't we have a king? They whined to him, we want a king, we want a king. Be careful what you pray for. God gave him a king, King Saul. It's interesting though, but John Corson describes Saul like this. He was a man who stood head and shoulders above the rest, a man who was initially humble and who moved in power of the spirit, a charismatic man who was able to galvanize the nation around him. At first, Paul was the man for the job. Saul was the man for the job. He did everything God told him to. But then he went up against the Amalekites, and he told them, God told Saul, when you get into there, destroy everything. Men, women, children, goats, chicken, creepy things, everything. Destroy it. Well, Saul entered the city. He did what he thought he had to do. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he came back into Jerusalem with the king. He didn't kill the king. And he must have left some others there as well. And he spared them. And he had sheep with him. He was going to bring these spotless sheep for a sacrifice to God. Well, Samuel called them on it. What are these sheep doing here? Who is this guy that you brought back? Well, he's the king. He's going to be the trophy. And these are the sheep that we're going to sacrifice. Samuel looks at Saul and says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken the Lord more than the fat of rams. And he turned around and killed the king. He killed the king right there, Samuel did. You can find that in First Samuel, Samuel 15. Look what it says. So Samuel said, has the Lord had great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of richcraft." and stubbornness is as iniquity as a dial Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he, the Lord, has also rejected you, Saul, from being king. And you might think this is harsh. You might think, well, wait a minute, this is pretty harsh. But guess what? If you read on in Samuel, you find out that it was one of the leftover Amalekites that kills Saul. One of the leftover Amalekites in the big battle appears And they have this fight, and he kills them. And Saul says, who are you? He says, I'm an Amalekite. Hmm. You know, Paul sinned against God, and sin was his death, and sin was his end. We think we have sin under control. You know, that little thing you've been dabbling with, or the little thing that you can control anytime you want. I, mean, I can turn the TV off anytime I want. I can turn the, TV, the computer off anytime I want. Oh, I can have a cigarette anytime I want. I can do this, I can do that, whatever it is. Whatever it is, I can, I can control it. I'm in control here. The little trophy that we're keeping around that we don't do. Whatever it is, be careful. Be so careful. The sin can come back and completely destroy you. John Corson again said, That's why a father who loves you says, destroy all the Amalekites completely. Destroy all the Amalekites completely. And I love that fact about the the movie Fireproof. I love that fact about the movie Fireproof. Here he is, a guy who's trying to get right with the Lord, but he has a a habit with pornography on his computer. And he continues to watch his computer and his wife knows about it. He's trying to make good with his wife and she calls him on it all the time. Here you are trying to do these things, good for me, but you sit in front of this computer and what did you just see with your eyes? What did you just look at? And one day he gets right before Lord and he sees him, he carries that computer out and he beats the heck out of it with a baseball bat. I love that. That's what, he destroyed the Amalekites. He took them away and destroyed them completely and they were gone. If something is tempting you, get away from it. If something from the, isn't from the Lord, remove it. If something is attacking you, get rid of it and get behind it. Don't play around with the Amalekites. If you leave one Amalekite behind, they will come back and get you. Paul continues in verses 22 and 23. He said, and he had removed him and raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Samuel was the preparation for David. David was the preparation for Jesus. It's cool. There are several things I want to look up here. First of all, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute, David sinned pretty badly, if I remember correctly. You know, it's funny how much people know about the Bible, but everybody knows David sinned. Here God calls him a man after my own heart. Yeah, David sinned. But David knew how to take care of his sin. And David went before the Lord in complete honesty. And it says, and against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned and put himself before the Lord. And you know, people think, that's why he called him. No, I think that's, God called David a man after his own heart because God told him, this is what you're going to suffer and the consequences for your sin. The baby that that woman's carrying is going to die. Your children are going to rise up against each other. There's going to be rape and murder, and you're going to wreak havoc because of your sin. And he said, even though you will slay me, I will live. He didn't say those same words. That was Job, but he meant it. He said, I'm going to trust in you regardless. And I think that's why he was a man after God's heart. He knew the consequences of his sin and continued to trust the Lord, push through and trust the Lord. Yeah, he sinned. He trusted in God's word, faith in God's word. David is listed as one of those of seeing the promise far off, seeing the Messiah that would come because God told him one from your seed, one from your seed would reign on your throne forever, reign on your throne forever. And that's a whole other Bible study in and of itself. Paul points to Israel and he says, you guys were prepared for the coming of the Messiah. You'd been given the prophets and throughout the scriptures, you have all kinds of types of Christ. We talked about types before. Joseph is a type of Christ. Some believe that Daniel is a type of Christ. He said, you had these, you witnessed these. You would witness the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God took you out of bondage after 400 years and put up with you for 40 years and took you into the wilderness. And I love this. With an outstretched arm, it says God, it says the Scriptures say, with an outstretched arm, God took Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And I contend with you today, with an outstretched arms. Christ took you out of bondage also. Took you out of bondage with those same outstretched arms. Yeah, they should have known. You know what? And I love it. He said, you should have known the promise of God. Not only should you have known it, but you should have believed it. Go back to Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. We should study that sometime. I love the book of Joshua. But he says this to Joshua near the end of Joshua. I think it's in 22. I, I forgot to tag it. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest from all around, according to all that he had sworn to his fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered them all their enemies into their hand. And here it is. Not one word failed of any good thing which the Lord had promised and spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. My point is, We can trust God for his promises. We can trust God for all his promises because you look time and time again, you look in the Bible and it says that it came to pass. God's true in his promises. All his promises are yes and amen and he will never, ever fail you. Simon Peter says this in his his second epistle in verses one to four. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, By the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. God has supplied unto me, unto us, everything to live the successful Christian life. He's given us everything. God really doesn't have to do anything more for us. No extra work necessary. God has given us everything for life and godliness. He's given us an abundant life and comes... How, does this, how do we get this abundant life? According to Peter, the knowledge of him, the knowledge of God gives us this abundant life. And there's only one resource book available that reveals God to you. May I introduce it to you? His word, the revelation of God. The revelation of God, everything you need to know about God, should know about God, want to know about God, is right here in this manual, right here in this instruction book. Your knowledge of God comes only from the revelation of God himself right here. And he's revealed it to you in this book right here. This is why we push it so much. This is why we tell you to read the Bible. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we go line by line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, because we value and treasure this book right here. The knowledge of God revealed to us. You see, what happens is if I develop what I feel God must be like then I think of myself as the most ideal form, and I project God as that. (laughs) That comes up way short. Trust me. I cannot accept man's understanding and revelations about God. They're all centered around man's own personality and around his ideals. It is important that my understanding and revelation of God come from God, come from him himself. His revelation is what's important. And of course, What is the most complete revelation of God ever to mankind? Jesus Christ. The most complete revelation of man at all to God. God. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, in who various ways and times spoke in these past days to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his dear Son. Jesus is the revelation, the complete revelation of God to us, to mankind. So through Jesus Christ, I come to the knowledge and understanding of God. And I come to this knowledge and understanding, I grow in grace. And as I come to the knowledge and understanding, I find that God has given me everything for life and godliness. I become more and more involved with God, more and more in love with God as he continues to see his grace, and as I continue to open up all these wonderful treasures. I'm like a kid at Christmas time with nothing but gifts all over the place, and I open them up, and boom, God comes out of this one, and and God comes out again, and here comes God again. Every time I open something up, God is there revealing himself to me, saying, and I love you. Here, have this. And I love you. Here, have that. It's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful thing. As I dig into his word and dig into the nuggets of his word, I'm enriched and my life is changed because God has said so. The word brings me knowledge of God. The word of God helps me to then to partake in the divine nature. I'm changed by his word. His word changes my life as I read it and as I apply it. His word changes my life. The seed that brought me into a spiritual life, which conceived me spiritually, is growing in me, growing it. We know that in Jesus' um, parable of the sower, he, we know that the seed is the word of God because Jesus says so is in Luke 8, 11. It brings forth spiritual life. And in the word are all his precious and rich, exceeding promises that we can look and we can glean to. And we can know him and we can be comforted in him and we can trust in him for every promise because every single one of his promises are yes and amen. They don't change. And you know what? Every time I pick this book up and read it, it's different to me. It ministers to me in a different way. You may be sitting there and we go through, well, let's read the story of Jonah. Now, I've heard that a million times how many times can we read the book of Jonah? How many times can we read? Well, I got news for you. Sit before the Lord, pray before the Lord and start reading the book of Jonah for the 850th time. And I can guarantee God will reveal something new to you. I can guarantee he will reveal something new to you that you are struggling with right now today. And he wants you to deal with, and you're going to go, I didn't know that was in Jonah. God's promises are true and they're today. These are precious and great promises. I can't think one promise of God that doesn't apply to what I'm going through today. I can't think of one promise of God that doesn't help me in what I'm going through. I look at his promises, and I see his deliverance. I see his provisions. I see his strength. What do you need? Why do you think they call him the becoming one? Why do you think they call him Jehovah, the becoming one? What do you need God to be for you today? Well, number one, and first and foremost, we know we need His Savior. First and foremost, we know he's a but I need healing, Jehovah Rapha. We talked about it this morning. I need provisions, Jehovah Jireh. All these things he is, he becomes to you what you need him to be. He becomes these things. He's not a Santa Claus dad. We need to trust him and we need to obey him. And then he becomes to you these things that we need. Comfort, peace, joy. He gives you that. We talked about the love that was shared here this morning. That comes from a deep relationship with God. It comes from a strong relationship with God as we love one another. The Jews had over 2,000 years of preparation for the Messiah. 2,000 years. Because the Messiah was God's promise. And Paul takes these guys, and he takes them all through this history, just like Stephen, and then he smacks them right in the nose and said, and God had promised to bring a Messiah. And the Messiah's name is Jesus. He's standing right before them. Next week, he's going to make the declaration. He's going to make the glorious declaration of Jesus Christ to these men that are listening. He's going to make this glorious declaration about who Jesus is and who he is to these people who he's talking to right now. He's talking to Jews. He's talking in the synagogue to Jews. He's not talking to his Gentile friends. But I'm here today to tell you that we need to make ready for the Lord. We need to prepare for the Lord because he's coming again. Those that have accepted him, those that have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, those that have come into a living hope, one day we'll hear the trumpet. One day we'll be snatched in the air and we will meet him, it says in scripture. In a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trump, we will be taken out of here. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to meet him in that way? The gospel has been preached many times. The gospel continues to be preached. We hear the word of God and God guides us and we speak it. He speaks to us. The question still remains, are you prepared? Have you made provisions for your departure? Are you prepared? If the doctor told you today that you had 24 hours to live, are you prepared to go? Or do you need a second opinion? Make our reservation sure. Make our reservation clear. And take what God has given us for salvation. Jesus Christ, the righteous, that is where salvation is. That is where salvation lies. There'll be no other name above heaven and earth by which a man can be saved. No other name. I hope you heard that. There's going to be a lot of names being flown out there in this coming time. And our Jesus is going to be downplayed an awful lot in this time coming up. But there is no other name from heaven and earth by which men can be saved. And those are not David's words. That's the Word of God.
0: When Jesus left earth following His resurrection, His followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow his instructions today? Maybe he's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe he's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the Book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.